0: Seeing as we constantly have new people kind of coming amongst us, I feel it would be good to bring you up to speed on our journey as a church. In fact, I know several people in this room that weren't a part of us, that now actually are, um, that weren't a part of us when we finished the Joshua series for our Easter break. What I'm saying is basically in the last four or five weeks, we've had several under other fantastic individuals join us. Last week, someone was born again in our midst, which is glorious. Um, so... So basically, it's probably important that we kind of catch you up and just go, don't, don't just go straight into it. But basically, on our journey as a church, I want to catch you up on that. We've been, um, since September last year, we've been studying the book of Joshua as, as, as a fellowship, as a people. Um, and if you want to catch up on any of those, write down this web address, www.vimeo.com, www.vimeo, and search for X1 Church or X1 Videos, is that right? Or go to the website, just click on the tab, Media. And you'll have the list of videos there that you can access Vimeo. So you can catch up. We've been doing this for 20 weeks already uh, and probably have another 12 to 14 weeks left. But we've been journeying through this book. In a series we've called Living Life Without the Fear, we believe that we're kind of immersed in a fear culture. We seem to fear everything. But I believe and we believe that Christians should live above that. Christians should um, live aside from that and, and not be marked by culture. In fact, the book of Joshua is very much like the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And the book of Ephesians starts in chapter 1. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ, which if you're a believer this morning, is spoken over us. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You look at 95% of Christians, they're obviously not enjoying them. Why is that? This morning, I think we started realizing, just seeing Diana so moved by the Spirit of God, enjoying the blessings of knowing intimate relationship with the King of Kings. Those are the blessings we have. But sometimes we don't taste them. We don't live in them. So basically, as the, as the Israelites journey into the promised land, it's theirs, it's promised, it's glorious, there's fruit, there's good things. But that's actually where the battle really begins. As soon as they step over the river, bang, they're in war. That's true of us as well. Stepping into the Christian faith, thinking again of Maria, you don't suddenly step into this otherworldly sort of utopian ideal where you you don't struggle with desires, you don't struggle with people still being nasty, you don't struggle with joblessness or anything like that. It's still real. And so this book is about that and it's a living life without the fear. And we were lost in the story uh, when the Israelite people were basically demonstrating to the Canaanites this land that they'd moved into. Through their sacrifices and the renewing of the covenants, um, uh, Andy finished Joshua chapter 8. That there's a new God in charge of this land. That's basically what the Israelites were doing and they're sacrificing their offerings on these two mountains. They're basically saying, yo, you're Canaanite demigods, you're Canaanite quasi-gods, you're Canaanite god wannabes. There's a real God in town. That's what they were doing through these offerings. And we get into Joshua chapter 9. So turn with me there if you'd like to. I've called this morning's sermon Deception may win the battle, but it does not need to win the war. It does not need to win the war. So we've taken a journey. The Israelites finally get to get out of the wanderings of the desert because of their rebellion. God suddenly gives them a new leader. It's like Moses is gone. God raises up Joshua. Note there. Don't ever put too much strength or never idolize your leader. Worship God because a leader can just be moved on and God can bring someone even better, which is hopefully will continue happening in the life of this church. That's what we hope would happen. Um, so, so there's that move and, and God raises up Joshua. And then the, the, the Israelites take down uh, Jericho by marching around like a bunch of crazy kids singing and shouting. The walls falls in. In they go. That's theirs. Done. Simple as. You know, cross this massive river. Do that. Then they come across a small little town called Ai and they go, nah, we'll just send three or four thousand up there. They go marching up there. Do you want to give us a town before we beat the heck out of you? Actually, they get beaten up quite bad. And several families lose their father, their husband, or their son, or their brother. And and the Israelite camp is in shock. So what do they do? What do they do when they encounter spiritual defeat? Well, like you and I, you confess, you consecrate yourself against, say, God, what what was it in that, that I, uh, what was it about me that just needs to change? And amazingly, they, they let the Spirit of God work in them, cleanse out sin, cleanse out sin from their community. Let, let us, I want you to know that, that that is part of our calling as eldership. In fact, we're involved in it even now, that we want this community to stand clean as a Christian community that doesn't just say, sin's cool, let's all enjoy it. Who cares? Jesus loves us anyway. No, our role is to make us as pure a body as we can be. And so we're involved in that. That's what happens in Joshua chapter 7. And in Joshua chapter 8, they say, Let's do this I thing again. Let's, time, let's do it God's way. Bada bang, bada boom, done, sorted. So they sort out I. They do all the celebration of offerings and they get to Joshua chapter nine. And this is what happens when you start beating up everyone else around you. It's kind of like the big guy in UFC or like the main guy in the WWE. As soon as he starts kicking everyone's behind, everyone wants a piece of him. And that's kind of what happens in Joshua. And we get to Joshua chapter nine. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Great Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, what was that-ite? You shouldn't have said that They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Sweet, we thought we could take town by town. No, they've all gathered together to beat us up. That's not too much fun. However, when the people of Gibeon, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. Love that word. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with, check how clever these guys are, worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn, on, patched, worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. Basically, they're traveling about five or six miles, but they're looking like they traveled four or five hundred. Um, and you'll see why. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet, wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Hmm. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Aha, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants. They said to Joshua, Ah. But Joshua asked, "'Who are you and where did you come from?' They answered, "'Your servants.'" Ready their servants. You know, let's ingratiate ourselves, you know, appeal to pride as we'll see. "'Have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God.'" Ooh, they know about our God as well. That's pretty impressive. Our religion's really been displaying itself. For we have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. You know you want to preach just to say those words in front of a lot of people. Bashan, Heshbon, Sihon, Og, you know it. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your long, long journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now we see how dry and moldy it is. It's kind of like when my mum used to pack my bag when I used to go on a camp, and she used to put in all these goodies, and I'd only find them on the sixth day of a seven day camp, and it's like, dang it! Those were amazing cakes when my mom put them. Now they're dry and moldy. Ate them anyway. Um, that's what kids do on camp. Come on. This bread of ours, you kind of swap them. Well, yours is really moldy, but it doesn't have the green on that side. I'll take your cake if you take mine. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home. On the day we left camp but now see how dry and moulded it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals. The men of Israel sampled their provisions. Mm, that is old and nasty. But didn't, but did not inquire of the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. One commentator says, as Joshua began the conquest of the promised land, he faced three formidable enemies, Jericho, I, and the Gibeonites. As some teachers would stress, some commentators looking at the themes through the Bible would stress that these three enemies of Joshua actually represent the enemies of a believer or follower of Christ today. Jericho represents the world. We're surrounded by a very significant, obvious group of people or by a worldview, a world system that we need to make sure we're not taken over by or run over by or, or dominated by. I represents the flesh. That which constantly says, you know, gosh, I used to be a rampant adulterer before I got born again. I'd really like to do it still. And you're kind of like, "Uh," all that sort of thing. God just, God working against that. And how you have to fight the desires of the flesh. Desires of things that still seem to sometimes pop themselves up and say, surely you want to do that. No one will know. And then they say that the Gibeonites represent the devil. Our enemies as believers today are the world, the flesh, the devil. By the world, I don't mean go and beat up every non-Christian you find and kick them right where it hurts and say, "You're my enemy, fool." The world system. We love the world. We love the people of the world. We love everyone with all the love that God inspires in our heart to love with. But the actual worldview, the system. Yeah, we, we we that's our enemy. The flesh and the devil. So what's happened is these Gibeonites, they've been up in the hill country. They're probably about five or six miles away from I. Okay, so basically they're sitting there going, hmm, it doesn't take much to work out. I know I didn't get a really good result in my uh, math GCSE, but if it's five miles to us and 10 miles and 12 and 15, they're probably coming to us next. Whoops! So they're all sitting there discussing, um, I think we're the next ones on the list. uh, And they're hearing of the work of this mighty Yahweh on behalf of his people. Yahweh, the word, the Hebrew word means the covenant keeping, redeeming God. He keeps his promises in order to redeem, restore, ransom, rescue his people. That's who he is. So they're hearing about this Yahweh and what he's doing. And they must just go, hmm. We could maybe join in with all these other dudes who've just received a text from them that they're going to uh, gather together and see if they can take out these Israelites. But um, I'm thinking, uh, with the way they dealt with Jericho, the way they dealt with shehon and Og, and the way they dealt with Ai, I'm thinking, here's uh, probably what's going to happen. Those guys are going to get totally routed, and maybe there's another way. Hmm. Ah, so what they do, the Israelites are all on the back end of a major spiritual victory. We defeated the Aites, we defeated the Aites, and they're all excited, worshipping God. God has moved in their midst, spiritually high. I preached a great sermon, I preached a great sermon, I tied more than 10% this month. Yeah, but that big spiritual victory. And that's when the Gibeonites step in. A.W. Pink, phenomenal author, pretty about his name, Pity about the fact that half the books that he writes actually have pink covers. Bit destructive for me, but they're great books. So you can take the cover off and read the content, it's really, really good. A.W. Pink writes this If we are gratified with our consecration, it should be up there, pleased with our self denial, puffed up with our obedience, or proud of our prayerfulness and increasing dependence upon God, we are headed for disaster. Because once you get proud about what God's doing in your heart, and you take the credit for the fact that the Spirit of God is doing things, yes, we work in conjunction with Him, but we certainly don't get proud about it. Once that happens, you are on the verge of disaster. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 tells us this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's right about when you're going, gosh, I'm a phenomenal believer. I treated my wife to a spa day. I am the husband. I am the man. I am the church leader. Bang, Satan's in there. The Gibeonites rock up. Um, we've traveled a really long distance. Um, will you make a pact with us? we are your servants. Another commentator notes this about the Gibeonites. No swords, no spears, just deceit. Israel never dreamed that opposition would come in this way. No swords, no spears, just deceit. Deceit. And the Israelites never saw it coming. Today is a very ethical sermon. It's about life. It's about really meaty, meaningful stuff. So I hope God speaks to us as we continue. And it just amazes me that such an old passage of Scripture, because we're invited into God's meta-narrative, His great story, we're invited in. This happened to our forefathers in one sense. This, This was real. This was true. This was an event that happened in our history. Once you become a, a member of the family of God, this is your story. And something this old, three and a half thousand years old, speaks so powerful into our situation. I want to highlight today, deceptions dastardly duet. Deceptions dastardly duet. Okay, I'd say there's two types of deception. Understand what I say by the first one, I'll explain it. Satanic deception, and no, I don't mean Satan, the big hairy beast with red things is always constantly at your door. to dece- I mean, he is the root cause of it. Okay, I'll explain that more. And self-deception. You have a dastardly duet. Personally, I believe, and I believe this scripture is highlighting to us, that we are deceived externally or from outside of ourselves through a multitude of avenues or mouthpieces. What happens in this situation is that Joshua, a man of God, longing to obey God, God's word to him was, don't make any pacts with these people because they will destroy your religion with their awful worship practices, get sucked in and deceived by the Gibeonites. Maybe they appeal to their pride. Maybe they appeal to their sort of self-fascination with how well they worship their God. But whatever happens, in verse 16, we get the big, oops, oops. Because three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. They were deceived. And we too can be deceived externally from multiple sources, multiple avenues, mouthpieces. But I want to declare a truth wholeheartedly before detailing some of those avenues of deception. Their root is Satan. Let me give you a theology of Satan very quickly. I am not of the type, and we are not the church of the type that believe that Satan is everywhere. He is not an omnipresent being. Let me explain that. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Satan is one fallen angel. Okay? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Kind of gives us some insights. I think it's that way around. It might be the other way. Isaiah 28, Ezekiel 14, but I think it's that way around. He's a fallen angel. He was Lucifer. One of the primary sort of angels, One of the, there's a hierarchy of angels worshipping the Father, but getting to a point where pride took over. Hey, why do I have to give praise to Him? I want praise, and there's a rebellion in heaven, and one-third of the angels fall to earth, okay? And they are basically rebellious angels who are working together. In the spiritual realm, please understand, it is a spiritual concept. Real, but spiritual. Real, but spiritual. And they work to basically defame the name of God, stop people becoming Christians, and destroy Christians' joy. Okay? Nothing makes them happier than a half-hearted, apathetic, uninvolved Christian. Because then it's working for them. We want to read a great book by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. Brilliant. A kind of enjoyable, well-written out kind of theology. So I believe that there is a real active enemy in the spirit realm against us as believers. I believe that tell you why I believe that. Listen to these names just in the Bible alone. The prince of this world, the accuser of the brethren. John 10 verse 10, the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The serpent, we see in Genesis chapter 3 that he is involved in the fall of mankind. He deceives Adam and Eve. He's a deceiver. He's the accuser. He's the adversary. He's the dragon. That's what he's called in Revelation. He's a dragon. In James chapter 4, he's a roaring lion. One of the greatest sermons I think I ever preached when was about 22. The, the preacher didn't rock up. And all I spoke about, because I was asked to do it with about three minutes to pre- prepare, was when I saw lions in my encounters and working as a professional guide, if that's what God, Satan is like, don't be proud. And it was just one of those moments where kind of worked together. But th- these are the names given. He's real. He's active. He's an enemy against believers. Okay, You see, even as soon as Jesus is anointed and becomes, uh, he's baptized and God shares his favor with him as a son, he goes straight out into the wilderness and Satan's on his case. Listen to these quotes. There is a spiritual world as well as, the re- as this world. And in that spiritual world, there is a powerful, crafty, and malicious being bent on our destruction as the people of God or not. Another commentator says, there is great error in assuming that the reality is nothing more than material. But that's the culture we live in. We live in a secular, materialist culture. Meaning, secular, all that is spiritual is locked out, it doesn't exist. Material, all that we worship is what we can put our hands on. So the spiritual world is locked out. It's been that case since post-World War II. So we are probably three generations into a purely materialist, secularist society. So when someone like me stands up and says there's a spiritual world and there's a devil, I am a weirdo. Okay? Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Listen to this quote. The hiss of the serpent is to be feared more than the roar of the lion. The hiss of the serpent is to be feared more than the roar of the lion. I think this deception comes through multiple mouthpieces okay and it's actually limitless but here are a few religions multiple religions philosophies ideologies worldviews false teachers salesmen politicians predators those men that predate women and tell them oh you're just so special i don't mind if you're a christian but if you love me Okay, multiple, multiple avenues. Don't be gullible, don't be foolish, don't be blind to the fact that we live in a world that does not run according to the values or belief system that we hold as followers of Jesus. In fact, in some cases, it operates aggressively against the values that we hold as citizens of heaven. Started to get some people from the Far East, people from India joining us, they would know in their nation, people are killed. Because the the, the government or the people are aggressively against their values as Christians. Okay? They're against the values that we hold, as Paul calls us in Philippians 3, citizens of heaven. Notice that Christ himself, now let's always remind ourselves of this. He's not some tree-hugging, flower-picking, small-minded hippie. Okay? Jesus was quite a wise dude. In fact, he was the wisest dude. And he says to his followers, and he says to us in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and other portions of the Gospels, people of this world are more worldly wise than we are. Okay? We're meant to be innocent about that stuff, but that means they're more wise than us about some of the things of the world. And we are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, Matthew 10 verse 16. As shrewd as snakes, as aware, as thoughtful, not like snakes biting and hissing and whatever, but thoughtful, wise, processing the way things work. That means we need to have boldness and discretion, wisdom, but we also need to be as innocent as doves. There needs to be a peacefulness about us, a meekness, and it's a beautiful mix of qualities, wise and thoughtful and aware of how things work because you're seeking the wisdom of God, but gentle and innocent and meek but I don't want to move on before highlighting the other member of deceptions dastardly Jewett singing loudly in our ears and minds self Self self-deception it's not really adultery it's just flirting I text her, she texts me we talk about how we'd be with each other if we weren't married and who knows she might become a Christian anyway I know he loves me and he's a good thing and if I pray enough he'll come to the Lord so let's uh, let's just be together Well, I'll raise my hands here and say all the spiritual jargon necessary to convince them all that I'm doing great with God. I'm not reading my Bible at all. I don't pray at all at home. But I'll do it all here and then convince them all. And that'll convince them. God knows how busy I am. In fact, he's happy that I even make it to church on Sundays. Why should I even bother going to anything else? Prayer meetings. Gosh, I've got a job. Yeah, and you're the only one in the church that does. God knows, I'm busy. He's probably pretty happy I make it on Sundays. It's not gossip, I'm just highlighting a prayer need. The classic. Hey, I'm giving something, right? God knows, I'll give more. That 10% thing, I'll do that when I have more. Just leave me alone. The inventory is endless. It is endless. Self-deception. Let me just give us a dose of scriptural reality which will probably fly in the face of our own self-assessment as we sit here, and more than likely, in parentheses, forgive me if you like, not really bothered if you don't, more than likely, it'll fly in the face of the typical pop psychology pep-up preaching that we hear from all over the globe. You are the best you you could ever be, and God just wants to give you everything you could ever want because you're the best you you could ever be. I know it's out there, and our calling as elders is to guard you against the junk because it has insipid effects. So, I wanted to give you a bit of scripture that flies in the face of that stuff. You're the best you you'll ever be. You couldn't get better. <laughs> no, you're not. God wants to change. In God's sight, you're the best you you'll ever be. But in your practice and the life He wants you to live and lead, oh, He wants to mold us and shape us and transform us and renew us. So, here's the Bible. Let's go. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. That wasn't appropriate, Jeremiah. And it certainly wasn't PC. See, our hearts often deceive us. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why would it say renew your mind? Because our minds need renewing. In fact, the playground for the battle with the lies and with the life we want to lead that sometimes violates our faith relationship with Christ is typically up here. It starts here. Well, they won't know, that the HM Revenue and Customers won't know that I earned that money. So, I'm just going to kind of not tell them and it starts there. You just violated a command of God. Be transformed by the reading because our minds often tell us things that are not What God would long for us, okay? James 4 verse 4. Why do you fight? Why are there quarrels amongst you? Talking to believers, there's no quarrels amongst us as X1. Yeah, there are. Of course there are. Your desires that battle within you. Then he goes on to say, God opposes the proud. Why does he say that? Because we can be so proud, people of God. I can be so proud. Ask my wife and ask her to only give you one example because I don't want the thousands she could give. The pride that dominates my heart. I'm educated I've got a degree in these things I know these things I'm a leader I'm a visionary the pride just oozes from all of us from all of us and it comes in again and again and we need to counteract it submit yourselves then why? because that's often so hard to do Hebrews 3 verse 13 talks about the deceitfulness of sin sin itself is deceitful (gasps) Art. It's just a website, it's really quick, and I'm not gonna do anything about it. Click. It's just a little bit of money, and and, and they don't need to know that we just gotta check for this much money, and I'm also meant to tithe on that. Doesn't matter. Sin deceives, and it offers you, and what it is, it's chocolate covered vomit. Mmm, yummy, good and appealing and tasty. They won't know, I'll do this and do that. Gosh, strip clubs, brilliant, let's do that. It doesn't matter, I'm not actually committing adultery. You're absolutely lusting and committing adultery in Jesus' eyes. It's chocolate-covered vomit. What happens is you get into the inside and you realize that sin is there to destroy your life. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Free yourself from the sin that so easily entangles. Self deception, people, we can deceive ourselves so often. There's a dastardly duet singing in our ears. So let's move on. Defeating deception. As we move on in the passage, we see some of the things that the people of um, Israel do. We're going to use Joshua 9 and 10 as we move on next week. So I'm going to just continue preaching. Defeating deception. Why am I highlighting this duet this morning? What does scripture say to help us to defeat the devastating effects of deception? And they are devastating, my friends. We can get so deceived that we can be almost living parallel to the life God longs for us. Caught up in sin, caught up in lying, caught up in deceit, caught up in people's opinion and desires for our life. Living a relationship, a passionate, wonderful relationship that's so far from what God wants for us. The scripture gives us some amazing, amazing insights to defeat deception. Firstly, engage the enemy engage the enemy do this know that there is a spiritual battle and engage the enemy rather than getting beat up and losing your joy your peace your hope your testimony and even your place as a bringer of God's kingdom on earth that's what Satan's trying to do to us once we're believers he can't stop us being Christians but what he can do is get us to a point we're totally we're totally sidelined You're just not part of, I hate church, I hate doing this Christian, you're just sidelined, he's just sapped everything from you. A member of God's missional community, he pulls you out of that and just leaves you in this place. Engage, get involved in the battle. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18, write that down. From that passage of scripture we can get four principles, probably a lot more, but four principles about Engaging. Okay, number one, accept the biblical testimony that we are involved in spiritual warfare. Believe it. Start there. We are. Secondly, to be successful in this battle, you have to be clothed with spiritual armor. What is that? Everything that God gives you when he saves you. You have Christ's righteousness, so don't try to fight the battle according to your own righteousness. You have the truth, so don't try and heal the lies of culture. Believe the truth. Peace, joy, all those things are given to you as your spiritual armor to engage this enemy. Thirdly, hold on tight to and learn to use our offensive weapon, the Word of God. Cut down the lies. Cut down the untruths. Cut down the deception of sin by believing and seeing and wielding and using the Word of God. And fourthly, pray constantly for the help and blessing of God. All that's from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Secondly, know God's truth. Engage the enemy. Know God's truth. Joshua 9, verse 14. You know what their mistake was? Let me read it to you. The men of Israel sampled their provisions. They used their own human intelligence, their own human wisdom, but did not inquire of the Lord. Know God's truth. Seek the wisdom of God. Or get, another way of saying, God's angle of thing on things. James 1 tells us, if you need wisdom, pray for it. We need wisdom to counteract not only the world's lies, but the stuff that comes through in the whole kind of thing of the body of Christ globally. There's stuff that's coming through that just isn't of God. It's not helpful. And I was saying to a visitor last week, Plato writes in his Phaedrus, he's talking about, he's arguing against the sophists. The sophists believed in the power of speech. That basically, he who speaks best rules the world kind of thing. And he's arguing against that. He said, it's not speech that counts. It's the essence of speech. It's truth. It must be truth. But he says this, the best arguments are those ones built off truths or subtle lies that are closest to the truth. If someone said to me, I am a six foot nine black guy, it's obvious I'm not going to believe that argument. But if someone said to me, well, you're about five foot eleven, and actually your mom is not British, she's Canadian, well, the, arguments are, but the closest and easiest way to be deceived is when it's closest to the truth, but just slightly tilted. Seek God's wisdom. Pray for it okay? Live according to God's wisdom. Often quoted, but not easily believed, and stunning to absolutely hold in your heart are the words of Proverbs chapter 3. And not just the key ones, there's more, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. That's what the Israelites did. That's what Joshua did. They lent on their own understanding, and they were deceived. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Listen to this, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. And these wonderful verses that God led me to as the most important things I could hold on to as a pastor of X1. Preserve sound judgment and discernment. Don't let them out of your sight. Live according to God's wisdom. Finally, recognize and repent of sin. Do you know Luther's 95 theses that began the Protestant Revolution said that the believer's life should be marked with a lifestyle of repentance. And when one sees in Hebrews 12 that sin so easily entangles, and when you see in James 4 that sin destroys, a life that is not infected by or affected by sin is the most joyous life we can experience. So whenever you feel it coming, whenever you've engaged in it, repent of it and move forward. Also, take note of this, and it's something that I think Andy was alluding to a while ago. Rise up, stand on your feet and realise. Every act listen to this as a quote. Every act of confession, it's mine, so you don't have to write it down. It's not that good. Every act of confession and repentance is actually a moment to again drink deeply at the fountain of God's grace. And to reacquaint ourselves with the intimate, restoring love of our wonderful Father. Have you ever seen repentance like that? It's another opportunity to get so close and to drink deep of His fountain of grace. Let me move forward pretty quickly. I'm going to take another six or seven minutes. Are you suffering with Gibeonitis? Are you suffering with Gibeonitis? Let us not only see ourselves as those who are being deceived, this passage paves the way for some powerful insights about a disease we'll call Gibeonitis. So let's go to self-searching mode quickly, yeah? We're willing to do that as a people of God? Okay, self-searching mode. How often do we deceive to avoid circumstances or for some form of self-gain? How, how often do we do it? Maybe it's in our education. I remember, I'm telling this story. It's not meant to be boastful. It's actually meant to be painful and how hard it was. In my final year of junior school, which is grade 7 in, 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 Zimbab- in Zimbabwe, um, 11 years old, it was myself and this other girl, Abigail Prescott, vying for first place in, in, in all our marks, maths, English, interbell- the combination. Well, we're, we're going for We're literally, you know, step by step together like this. Bang! She absolutely wipes me out in the, the Inderbelly test, which is uh, the second language, one of the second languages in Zimbabwe. I'm totally useless. She gets a great mark. She ends up in first in class. Simonie Jones is second. I am absolutely gutted. She then tells me what she did. What happened in our class? She used to put up cardboard pieces of a like piece of cardboard in between the two desks while you wrote an exam, and she drilled a hole in her cardboard and copied from her Inderbelly friend's paper. So she beat me with deception she beat with deception but how often do we deceive in education I'll just check that out relationships do you know there are websites sorry I can't move on from this there are websites where you can submit your thesis or the title of what you need to write a paper on and you can pay about six pound and get an A or a B or a C paper it's up to you they're there they're there I used one three weeks ago um, the sermon ones are even better Okay, relationships, deceive in relationships. Well, I'm going to tell him that I actually believe this, and I'm actually going to... mm, Career, how often do we deceive in our career, in our business? Oh, that's a big one. In our profile, to raise our profile. Oh, yeah, I knew him. Yeah, 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 I knew him. Oh, yeah, 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 I've done that before. Yeah, I went there. We had a mate, literally. If you caught 100 fish over a weekend, he caught 300 on his own on the same weekend. It's like, come on! That's a lie. Um... Okay, sorry. What about this one? To appear righteous or godly. Ah, oh, we're good at that. The list goes on. And if this is striking a chord, let me say several things to us this morning. Let me say several things really quickly. One, deception only pays temporarily, never ultimately. Deception only pays temporarily, never ultimately. Joshua nine 16. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard they were neighbors. The Gibeonites got in, but three days later it was found out. One, deception only pays temporarily, never ultimately. Two, you're not alone. Reminds me of the olive single. You're not alone. Open your Sorry, great track. You're not alone. Let me just list four notable men of the Bible who have suffered with this destructive disease. I'm talking the main manners, the main dudes in the Bible that really messed up. Okay, you ready? You're not alone if you do this. Let's stay there for a while. We'll get to the hard stuff in a bit. Abraham. Yeah, I know she's hot. I mean, she's my sister. Um, I swear, she's my sister. When the Pharaoh's kind of digging old Sarah and saying, Dang, she's a fine one. That, yeah, I know she's I mean, no, no, she's my sister. Yeah, you can um, sleep with her. What? Abraham, what are you doing? Deception. Jacob. Oh, check out my hairy back. I haven't waxed in months. I'm Esau. Deceiving his father to receive the blessings, the birthright. What happens to Jacob? He's deceived for 21 years by Laban. Okay, always find out what the parents of the girl you really like or like, because man, he got totally, oh, it's like I'm digging myself some Rachel. 20 years, mm. Anyway, Jacob deceives, but ultimately, David, a sheer deceptive mess involving murder, adultery, the death of his child, pointed out by Nathan. And David is a man after God's heart in the beauty and the nature of his repentance. Hold on to that. Peter, oh no, she's a scary little girl. How could I tell her I'm a friend of Jesus? Oh No, I don't even know him. Deception. You're not alone. You're with some really, really good people in the Bible. Thirdly, repent. Stop. Turn away from the destructive behavior and the soul-destroying lies of being a deceiver. Psalm 51, as we deal with uh, um, David coming to the, res- uh, the recollection and the realization pointed out by Nathan, you're in deception, David, you were a deceiver. He does this. Verse three, verse four, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He repents, he recognizes and he chooses to stop. 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is righteous and just and will restore us to righteousness. Repent. Stop. And number 4, see the stunning restorative grace of God. Psalm 51 verse 17. Listen, this man has killed someone. He's slept with someone else's wife. His child has died because of his lies, his deceit. And this is what he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Verse 1, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Please, oh please, my friends, see the stunning restorative grace of God. Look at each of these men and look how gracious our Father is in restoring them. Look even at Joshua. Look even at the Gibeonites and the stunning grace of God in the oath God's people make with them. So I'll ask this question. Where are you at? Where is Gibeonite Itus attacking you and your relationships? One minute to just point out this. Please, oh please, people of God, can I point you to the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ to this 3,500-year-old moment in the history of the Israelites? Remember the story of Rahab, the prostitute, in chapter 2? These Gibeonites, although in a deceptive manner like Rahab, chose to believe in the truth they were hearing about the living God who is constantly at work to rescue, redeem, and restore His people. That's what people should be hearing about with X1. They should be hearing rumors, those guys love this Jesus. He's changing their lives. They want to serve Watford. They want to see lives transformed. They want to make a difference. That's, that, that, that's news to me. I want to hear that. And they chose to believe the truth about the person of God. And they chose to live a life that flew in the face of their culture in order to re- enter a relationship with Him. Can I say to you, if you're not with God this morning, you are like a Gibeonite. You're a deceiver. You're being deceived. And unless you enter into the realization of the stunning covenant God made with us through His Son, that He will never violate he gave His Son for us, that we who would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. Surely He who has given us His Son, will He not, along with that, give us all things as well? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could know His righteousness. That's what salvation is about. That's what being moved from a Gibeonite. We were all Gibeonites, people of God. First, I was a Gibeonite. I was a deceiver, I was a liar, I was stuck in my own sin and selfishness. But then in the covenant he made with his son, Lord, when Jesus said, I will give myself up. But my righteousness, baby, there is. So that they don't, they don't have to encounter your wrath. They don't have to encounter the distance from you. I will encounter that so that they, by faith, could receive that. Have you done that this morning? Have you received the fact that he will never turn against his promise and his oath that once you are a believer and you are in Christ, as we were singing, in Jesus, he will never break his oath. If you come to him by faith this morning, he will give you a new life and you'll enter into the joyous life of what it is to know God and to be loved by him.